Did my slides not upload? There so Let me go back here. I'm in grace gathering, that's why. This is not grace gathering. This is morning worship. Sorry, guys, I'm in the wrong message now. Oh, is that uncomfortable, that silence? Christina thinks it's funny. It's loading up. Okay, so we're going to finish the, the message we started last week from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. This is part two about wasteful worry, wasteful worry. Certainly Jesus' desire for us as we look at this text is to focus on what he says there in verse 33, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He wants us to have an eternal kingdom focus. And if we're going to have eternal kingdom focus, then we can't, have to remember we can't serve both money and possessions and God. And if we're going to have an eternal focus, a kingdom focus, we can't let worry consume us because worry will waste our time. It'll waste our energy. It'll waste, uh, just waste our resources and we won't be able to serve God the way he wants us to serve him, to serve Jesus in the kingdom. And so we want to deal with this issue of worry, something we all struggle with to one extent or another. As I lead into this message, I want to speak of the importance of using our resources wisely, meaning our time, our talents, all that we have from God, because he expects us to do that. And when we worry, it detracts from our usefulness. And the parable I want to go to quickly as we lead into this message is the parable of the talents. I think I had chapter 24. That's in chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to begin there at the, at the very beginning of this parable uh, that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. So that he's looking towards the return of Christ. He says, actually his return, Jesus is talking. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold, and NIV says bags of gold, talents. A talent is, equivalent the work, is essentially the equivalent of 15 years of wages. That's one talent, okay? Uh, so uh, a talent is worth a lot. So the man who received five bags of gold went at once. I'm sorry, let me get down here. Uh, the man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, "You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained you five more." 
his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I went off and I hid your gold on the ground. See here, here's what belongs to you. The servant who had been given one bag of gold took it and hid it in the ground because the servant was afraid. They were consumed by worry. What if I invest the money and the investment goes bad? And then the master comes back and I can't give the master anything. So worry consumed the third servant. What did the master think about that? His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that, that, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered. Well then, you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant, the one consumed by worry, the one who lost their kingdom focus, the one who lost their eternal perspective, the one who wasted their life with worry, throw them into the darkness where there will, not, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so really, handling our worry is a big deal. You have been entrusted with gifts and talents by God, resources, okay, by God for His kingdom, for His glory. And if you're consumed by worry then you won't invest your resources the way you should. You won't invest your life the way you should. Jesus doesn't want wasteful worry to prevent you from focusing on His kingdom priorities. It's really what's going on here. So last week we started looking at the concept of worry. And worry is that sinful, negative, repetitive thought process about what may or may not happen in a manner that excludes God and His promises while elevating selfish inadequacies. So we push God to the perimeter, and we put ourselves at the center. So Jesus teaches us about worry. Again, let's look at this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, He feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying a single hour, worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, 
the non-Christians, those outside of Christ, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all that you need to serve Him will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. So this, I don't think, is just an issue of, you know, I want to live my best life, and worry just doesn't look good, and people, you know, they think down, they think bad about me because I worry, and I may not ex- experience some things that I want to experience because, you know, I, well, no, it's, it's a kingdom issue. That parable begins by saying, the master went away, the master returns, and you have to give an account Are you worshiping your resources? Are you worshiping what you need to accumulate those resources? Are you consumed with worry about how to gain resources and keep resources? Are you useful to the kingdom of God? Is that even on your radar? Is it even on your radar that you need to be useful to the kingdom of God? And when I talk about being useful to the kingdom of God, I'm talking about fulfilling the Great Commission. So when you begin to worry, this is what we looked at last week. This is is the review. When you worry, say to yourself, God is great, God is good, I am valued, and I have purpose. God is great, God is good, I am valued, and I have purpose. So that's what you say when you you have worry, but, but why is it that we worry? Kevin Young is pretty interesting when he sets out this scenario, and this may resonate in some of your lives. He says, and let's be honest, all of us have occasions, sometimes moment by moment, where we're prone to worry. You wake up 10 minutes later than you had hoped to, and anxiety already starts to creep in. What if I'm late? What about traffic? What's the weather like? You pass the mirror and you worry that your face has more wrinkles than it used to. You rush downstairs, and because you're in a hurry, you let the kids eat whatever they want. And then you start to worry if sugar really does cause cancer. Maybe Lucky Charms is not a balanced diet. They're magically delicious, but are they magically nutritious? As you get the kids ready, you realize that one of your boys didn't do his homework again. You worry about whether he's ever going to get his head screwed on straight and if he'll get into college. As you drop your kids off, you worry that they may fall in with the wrong crowd or fall off the monkey bars. Once you get home, you pull up Facebook just to relax. Then you read about how awesome everybody else's kids are and how amazing cupcake, how amazing your friend made amazing cupcakes for all their neighbors. And you worry that you're a failure as a mom. Later that morning, you want to go on a walk, but you feel that pain again in your knee and you worry about having to get a knee replacement and whether your insurance will cover that and how you'll pay for it. And who will take care of the kids as you're laid up for a month? Then you worry that maybe the pain is something worse, so you checked all the medical websites and realized you probably have a rare case of whooping cough and African sleeping sickness. Hours later, when the kids are in bed, you turn on the television to forget about the day. As you flip through the channels, you get caught up on the news. You start to worry about the economy and the council culture and the declining morals. Then you see another shooting or another protest and worry about racial divisions in this country and how you'll talk to it about your fr- talk, talk to your friends who see things differently. 
Maybe you worry about what the police would do to you. Maybe you worry about how people are going to treat your son who is a police officer. So you turn off the television and you talk to your husband and you worry about his cough that doesn't seem to be getting better and he tells you about the layoffs that are happening at work. Finally, as you lay down at night, you feel a tremendous sense of anxiety and you don't even know why. For reasons you can't understand, you start worrying about life and kids and your parents and your church and your health and flying and driving and sleeping and eating in general and and you fear the days that are to come. And you can hardly sleep. That's a lot, isn't it? It's exhausting just reading that. Some people worry that way. Maybe your worry, you're prone to worry to that extent. So why, why is it that we worry? Why is it that those thoughts go through our head? I think Jesus tells us in verse 30, he says, You of little faith. You of little faith. Right in the middle. It's, it's almost not even noticeable. It's almost like a passing thought. You of little faith. The heart of worry is a lack of faith in the character, in the past performance, and the promises of God. The bottom line is, is that we don't really believe that God is going to take care of us. We have thoughts like this. God, you can't possibly know and understand all the details about the situation that I'm facing now and that I may face today and that I may face tomorrow. God, are you really wise enough? I probably need to handle this. I'm closer to the situation. God, I look out at the world and things are so crazy. Are you really powerful enough to handle this Maybe I need to handle this. Do you care to handle this? Isn't that an issue? Do you really care, God, enough to handle the situations in my life? God, you're not doing this the way that takes care of me. I want to be taken care of a certain way. I want my kids to be taken care of a certain way. I want my marriage to be taken care of a certain way. And you're not doing it the way I would do it, so obviously it must be wrong, so I need to take things under control. So at the heart of worry is a lack of faith in the character and the promises of God, his past performance and his promises. But you know what, you guys, from what I know, I'm looking out, you guys are trusting Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ. So maybe you're like the father that Jesus met when he came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, whose son was possessed by a demon, kept throwing himself in the fire. And Jesus is like, do you believe? Do you believe? And the man says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think this is probably where most of us are. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This morning, as we consider the heart of worry and how to deal with worry, I want to move a little bit further, right? When anxiety comes, God is great. He can handle the circumstances. He's ordained the circumstances of my life. He can handle the circumstances of my life. God is good. He He only gives good gifts to his children, and I'm valued. I'm one of his children, and I have purpose in life. I'm not not created just to to consume resources and to try to get the best vacation I can this year. 
That's not the sum total of my life. I have purpose. I've got Christ's kingdom and the Great Commission. But beyond that, I want us to understand as we deal with anxiety is that humility before God will release your anxiety. Humility before God will release your anxiety. Follower of Jesus Christ, Peter, addresses this issue in 1 Peter chapter 5. The context here is he's just talked about pastors being shepherds and, and loving the flock not, flock, not working and serving under compulsion. And he's, he's dealing with the issue of sh- submission generally in, in 1 Peter, and he's talking about submission to elders here. So, because that's the context, it doesn't mean that we can't use the principle here, because the principle that Peter gets is from Proverbs chapter 3. And right there we see God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor or grace to the to the humble. What does this have to do with anxiety? And I think the point here that Peter's going to make, and we'll see this, is that pride fosters anxiety. Pride will produce anxiety. Pride is the seedbed of anxiety. Well, let's work through that a little bit. Remember those spheres of control that I showed you last week, those three circles? Some of you don't like this. It's fine. This helps me, and I think it might help some of you. We have these spheres of control. So God is the big circle. He has control over everything. And then there's the tomorrow, which we can't control, that only God control. And then there's you today, your sphere of control, things that you can handle. So we don't want to fall into a let go and let God. I just have to like pray and just kind of float through life. God's going to take it. No, there's very real hard work that you need to do to take care of the circumstances of your life. And you're making decisions every single day that affect the circumstances of your life. And if you're not making circumstances, uh, decisions according to the Word of God in submission to the Word of God, then you're going to bring anxiety into your life. I love it when I have conversations with people, and I'm sharing the gospel with them, and, and, and I'm talking about, you know, the fact that you've got to come to Christ. He's got to be both your Savior and your Lord. You have to submit to Him as Lord, right? And, and people are like, hey, you, know, you know, it's just a book of rules, whatever, you know, I have to do this, do that. I'm like, so you want to be the one to determine the rules for your life. How's that going for you? I mean, I'm looking at your life, and it looks pretty messy right now. And you have anxiety because you've decided that you're the Lord of your life and you're going to determine your own path. You're not going to submit to the one who created you. And therefore, you're just inviting anxiety into your life. The way of a sinner is hard. There's a way that seems right to a person and the end is death. So what does pride do? Pride reverses it. It, it, Pride says, I'm in control. I am I am the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my destiny. Again, how is that working for you? As you look at your life and the decisions you've made, contrary to the Word of God, how has that worked out for you? Pride puts self, self-rule, self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency, and self-glory above everyone and everything. God is opposed to you if you are living contrary to His Word. He's opposed to you. You might say, well, I'm a child of God. 
I'm, I'm in his family. I'm seated at his table. He's not opposed to me. But friends, he can be opposed to your actions. If your actions are contrary to the word of God, he's opposed to that. And those very actions that he's opposed to are the very actions that are causing anxiety and worry in your life because you're choosing your own way. So Peter says the answer is humility. Humility. Humility releases anxiety as you submit to the Word of God. Humility releases anxiety as you submit to the Word of God. He's already said, if you go back up in the text, as he's talking about submission, he says, clothe yourselves in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud. He gives favor to the humble. And then he says this, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And God's hand is mighty. This is an anthropomorphism, giving human characteristics, bodily form to God who is spirit, to help us to understand God better. And we see this concept of the mighty hand of God. When you read the book of Exodus, it is by the mighty hand of God that he released his children from Israel, that he, he caused all of the plagues and he parts the Red Sea and brings his children through. It's, it's by the mighty hand of God that he sustains his people. So it's, it's the power of God. The power of his word. And so Peter tells us, you need to humble yourself before God. You need to humble yourself before the Word of God. Because that's, that's how you know who God is, right? Humble yourselves before the Word of God. Humility puts God, God's rule, God's satisfaction, God's sufficiency, God's glory above everyone and everything. You're God, I'm not God. I don't understand this. I can't possibly in my pea brain fathom how this is good for me in their circumstance. But God, you have told me what to do in your word, and I'm going to submit to that. Humility is submitting to the will of God in his word, despite what you understand. So, so back to those spheres of control, right? This, this is what humility, humility organizes these spheres of control the way they should be organized. That's what we want right there, that God is in control, and we release that control to him. Tomorrow is out of our control. Only God can take care of that. We can only take care of today. We don't do that very well. We need God's power to do that. So last week, I gave you some examples, right? So you have you and your life circumstances. I've just given some examples here, the same ones I gave yesterday, things that would be probably out of your control. When you die, your future spouse, salvation of your children, Safety of children, job security, president of the United States, and again, the humorous one, which is true. Crossing the street at Joseph Campo and Holbrook can be dangerous. Right, so there are things that you can't control. And what does pride do? Pride brings that all into your sphere. It brings tomorrow into your sphere. And it brings all those troubles into your sphere because you are not submitting to the Word of God. You're not praying. You're not releasing. You're not casting. Because you can handle it. Because God doesn't care. He's busy up there running things. How could He possibly care about me? That's what you're saying when you don't pray, friends. 
this is what pride and worry do. And the worst thing really is that it marginalizes God, pushes God out. So we want to get rid of pride and worry. We have to reorient these spheres. And what, the way we do that is by submitting to God's Word, right? As we know the character of God in His Word, as we know His past performance from His Word, as we know His promises in His Word, that builds our faith. What? I keep talking about the Word, right? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you need faith not to have anxiety, right? Jesus says, what's the problem? You have little faith. Well, I need faith. You need to know God's Word and submit to God's Word to build your faith. And as you do that, it keeps these spheres of control in the right perspective. And Peter's going to show us here that as we humbly submit to God's Word, he gives us Another tool. We cast our cares on God. God wants to take our cares. Look at the text. He says, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hands that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, that exaltation may not be until Christ returns or until you die. And that's a tough one because we want our problems taken care of now. So what does this humility look like? And that's the point I was getting to. Peter gives us this second tool in our toolbox of dealing with anxiety. One is asking your question, I'm anxious. Am I submitting to the will of God? Am I submitting to the Word of God? Or have I chosen my own path? And the fact that I've chosen my own path has brought trouble into my life, and it's causing me worry and anxiety. That's the first thing. The second thing is Casting your cares on God. Are you praying about these situations? Are you giving it over to God? In verse 7, he says, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. That concept of casting really, it means to hurl. It means to, it's like playing hot potato. Somebody throws it to you, get rid of it right away. You're hurling it back out. You're not going to hold on to it. That's what the casting is. This casting is, an, is a humble act of faith. As you give, there should be a typo, as you give your life circumstances, current and future, over to his control. That's what casting is. God, I cannot handle this. You know me. You know my stature. You know that I'm only dust and I'm going to return to dust. I can barely control What's around me, two feet around me, God, I need you. Please take this off my plate. Humility releases anxiety as you cast your cares into the care of your Father in heaven. Right? He cares for you. Yeah, as, as a parent, um, and some of you may have been through this, I have references before, but You've seen your kids go through difficult times. And if you don't have kids, maybe it's somebody you know. And, and, but with me, with respect to parents, and this is a text that talks about a father. Um, when I have one of my children come to me and they've been holding on to a struggle, when they've been holding on to a different, difficult circumstance in their life, and they come to me in tears, and they tell me the situation, and I'm like, how long have you been dealing with this? They may say, a month, six weeks, whatever. And it breaks my heart. I'm like, nobody on this planet loves you more 
than your mom and I do. We want to be here for you, to care for you. We don't want to see you with worry and anxiety. We, we want to love you and, and, and help you work through this. So, again, Matthew chapter 7, if me, I'm a sinful father, and as godly and as wonderful as my wife is, she has sin issues too. As sinful parents, if we want to give good gifts to our children, if we want to listen to them and take the burdens off of them, how much more does our Father in heaven want to do that? Peter says, he cares for you. Don't hold on to that struggle. Don't hold on to that anxiety. Release that to God because he cares for you. It's interesting, almost every commentary I read had this poem. It's like when guys write commentaries, they read all the other commentaries. And they start adding stuff from other commentaries. If you read enough, you get this. And so this, this same poem is in almost all the commentaries. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want to have God carry your burdens, then as the author of Hebrews says, you have to believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's faith. God says, believe that I'm your father. Believe that I care for you. Believe that I want to take your burdens from you. Well, the question is, is how do I cast my anxiety on God? I've already said it. It's prayer, right? It's prayer. We bring our requests before God. And I think this is a part of give, give us this day our daily bread. We've learned about that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But the the common passage that we go to is Philippians chapter 4. This is the kind of the go-to passage. Well, I talked some about worry or anxiety. There's two passages I go to, 1 Peter 5 and Philippians chapter 4. And I referenced this last week in closing quite quickly. But Paul, chained to a Roman guard, possibly in his mind he knows that he's going to have his life taken in the future because of his faith. And all that he suffered... He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul wasn't living a cakewalk life. Plenty of troubles. And the first thing he says is, let your gentleness, gentleness be evidence all right. When we begin to worry and have anxiety, we start to lose our temper pretty quickly, don't we? We're not nice to be around. My kids know when I'm cooking and I'm anxious about the meal I'm making. I haven't eaten well enough and... You know, things aren't working out right in front of the stove. And they ask me a question. (laughs) Dad's having one of those moments. Pray for Dad. I'm not very gentle when I get anxious. Maybe you struggle with that as well. So Paul says, look, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord's near. This Heavenly Father that's so great and is so good and values you so much, he's near. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not the judge sitting behind 
his desk with a gavel. Messed up again, didn't you? No, he's near. He's with you. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, what by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he gives different ways of saying prayer there. Prayer would kind of be general intercessory prayer. Petition would be very specific. God, in this very moment right now, I have anxiety because that person next to me is clipping their nails in front of me. No. That gives me anxiety, I'm telling you. But it's very specific. Here comes that person that I have a hard time dealing with, God, and whenever they speak, my skin crawls, and I don't know how to respond, God, and I'm afraid I'm going to sin in my response. God, please. Very specific. Prayer, petition, and then there's supplication in some of your versions. Uh, uh, Supplication is a more urgent thing. God, I need this now. God, please help right now. My child's in trouble. I need your help. Paul says, present your request to God. So it's prayer. And prayer requires humility, right? I can't handle this, God. I'm not in control. You bow the knee, whether literally or figuratively, you bow the knee and you submit to the only one who can help you. That's the humility. And then we see the result there, and the peace of God. That's what we want. We don't want anxiety. We don't worry. We want peace. I want to be able to sleep at night. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Jesus says, peace I leave you, not as the world gives, but only as I can give through the Holy Spirit. I leave this peace with you. And this peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I love that, that word picture there. I love, I think in pictures, right? Literally, it's the picture of a fortress around your heart and your mind. Your heart and your mind are they're inextricably bound up. You can't separate one from the other. John Calvin says this, nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope in the depth of despair, in the depth of poverty to see riches, in the depth of weakness not to give way. Well, how do you do that? Because you're praying to God. You're making your requests known. You're, supp- you're, you're, you're supplicating to God. God, help me. And God gives you that peace that the world doesn't understand. So humility releases anxiety as you pray in faith to your heavenly Father. Okay, I've prayed now. Now what? Is that all? Just pray and go and everything's good? I think Paul gives us another tool as we deal with anxiety here. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Well, what are these things? Christ. Christ is true and noble and right, pure and admirable, and he's lovely. Well, how do we know about Christ? In his word. His word. His word is excellent. His word is praiseworthy. Friends, if we want to deal with anxiety and worry, 
We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and only a renewed mind can think of these things. And so the command is, think on these things. So as you struggle with worry, mentally you're preparing your mind. You're rehearsing the character of God because you know of God and his word. God, you are great. Your word tells me you're great. God, you are good. Your word tells me you're good. I am valued because your word says that I'm valued. And I have purpose because your word says I have purpose. I I am submitting to your word. I am casting my cares upon you with prayer. And now I'm going to walk around transforming my mind, rehearsing your word in my mind. Instead of meditating on negativity, I'm going to meditate on the word of God. And so when you worry about what people may think about you or do to you, Scripture, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I'm not using these magical incantations that are somehow going to... No, this is meditating on the Word of God. When you worry about being weak, remember, my grace is for sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. When you worry about future decisions, remember... God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. When you worry about whether or not God's going to keep his promises, remember, God doesn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. When you worry about your loved ones, which is a big one for us, remember, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We meditate on the word of God. We Think about such things. And as we meditate on the Word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then we build our faith. We gain sufficient faith, right? Because that word here, you of little faith, doesn't mean teeny-weeny faith, right? Because elsewhere Jesus says, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, then you can move mountains, right? Just a little bitty faith. Remember, I say a little bitty faith in an infinite God carries infinite weight. So this word little here means deficient. Your faith is deficient. You're putting your faith in the wrong place. So how do we put our faith in the right place? By thinking the right things. So we build our faith. We get big faith as we focus on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The heart of worry is a lack of faith in the character and promises of God. Friends, I want us to have big faith. So when you begin to worry, say to yourself, God is great, God is good, I am valued by God, I have purpose. When you begin to worry, pray, humbly submit to God, casting your cares on Him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the encouragement that your word brings us. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room now. We all deal with anxiety, and I pray, Lord, that we would take these principles that we've learned from your word about how much you care for us, how great you are, how good you are, how much we're valued, the purpose you've given us, Lord. And Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to cast our cares on you. Father, help us to pray. And as we do that, we pray the 
that the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, make us a people of great faith so that we'll be useful for your kingdom, so that we can keep an eternal focus, an eternal perspective. Lord, please use us mightily for your glory. Again, Father, perhaps there's somebody here this morning who doesn't know if they're your child, Lord. I pray that you would work in their heart and help them to understand how much they're loved by you and that Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead to give them the hope of eternal life. Yes, this is in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this uh, song we're going to sing is appropriate, yet not I, but Christ in me. Right, we live and move and breathe in the power of Christ, and that helps us to deal with our anxiety. Let's stand together.